0: Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening on this Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Topics on this episode include the adverse market fee, my interview with BJ Nacell, and the effect of strong existing home sales on mortgage rates. What do we have to look forward to? The next federal holiday, Memorial Day, isn't until the end of May. There's Easter, a month and a half away on April 4th, and most states' clocks spring ahead on March 14th. The employees of People's United Financial Inc. and m and Bank can look forward to working through their $7.6 billion announced merger slash acquisition. Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae can look forward to earnings. The two of them combined funded about 1.2 million adverse market-qualified refinance mortgages totaling $350 billion from December 1st through January 31st, according to IMF. At a one-half point charge, that's a jaw-dropping $1.75 billion in adverse market fees collected in the first 60 days. Besides people wondering where the adverse market is, what is the motivation for the U.S. government to cut Fannie and Freddie loose? Pipelines are still full of generous helpings of loans as we find ourselves in the second half of February already, and our industry continues to help millions of borrowers. Sure enough, according to a new report from the Federal Reserve, total household debt rose to $14.56 trillion in the fourth quarter of 2020, an increase of $206 billion from the third quarter. Year over year, the report shows an increase in household debt of $414 billion. Much of this is due to mortgage debt, which hit $10.04 trillion at the end of the year, an increase of $182 billion. To the surprise of no lender, this also includes a surge in newly originated mortgages. According to the quarterly report on household debt and credit, which is issued by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York Center for Microeconomic Data. For those links, visit robcrispin.com. Please join me in welcoming BJ Nassel, head of secondary post-closing and servicing for open-door home loans. BJ, thanks very much for coming on the Crispin Commentary Podcast. Happy to have you. Thanks. Happy to be here. So BJ, some people will say that capital markets is a rare job in an industry that people barely know exists. How would you hear about mortgage banking and what attracted you to capital markets?
1: Well, I started my career at a small mortgage broker that grew into a correspondent lender and eventually a direct seller to the agencies. As the company grew, we needed people to fill new roles. And you know I've always been someone who wants to understand how things work, so I always raised my hand. And uh, if you work backwards from securitization of a loan to the moment it was offered to the customer, it all starts with capital markets. You know, In order to keep originating more loans institutions need to get back the capital they're lending to homeowners so they can repeat that cycle.
0: How'd you even find a small mortgage broker in the first place? Were you, were you searching the classifieds or how did that come about?
1: They found me actually. And it, you know, it was one of those things, first job out of college resumes out there and uh, you know, it was a startup in, in the city I was living in at the time. And went in for an interview and got the job. And I was like, "All right, I can do this for you know a few months while I look for something else." And then you know, here I am, almost 20 years later, still in mortgages.
0: So, would you recommend new college grads to look uh, look at brokers for uh, for potential employment? Hindsight 2020. Hindsight
1: 2020. You know, I think you know there's definitely opportunities there. It really depends on where the broker's going. Right? We didn't have quote unquote capital markets. When I started there, I started as a loan officer and a processor. So it just, the company grew and it changed direction. And you know, that kind of dictated my career for a little while.
0: And we we might want to clarify something out there for listeners here. What's the difference between secondary marketing and capital markets?
1: Well, you know, there's probably a lot of overlap at most shops, depending on the size of the lender and the sophistication of the operation. At a smaller shop, secondary primary, will primarily be responsible for managing a lot of pipeline, ensuring loans are sold to investors on the secondary market, you know, hence the name. At, you know, larger institutions that have a more robust group, there's going to be people focused on the analytics, on the modeling, you know, robust reporting for strategy and decision-making, you know, around things like hedging, MSR analysis, pool performance, as well as finding, you know, funding sources. And, you know, some, some shops may even outsource those functions to advisory firms.
0: What do you think originators should know about interest rates or the direction of them in this current environment?
1: So most of the forecasts I've seen have pointed to a gradual uptick in rates to, uh, throughout 2021 and a decline in refinance volume across the industry. You know, however, that being said, I don't see anyone currently forecasting rates back to where they were. Um, a couple of years ago when the 30-year rate was you know, near 5%. You know, and the Fed is not expected to raise the Fed fund rates this year unless inflation really starts to heat up or we, you know, we really see employment rebound um, you know, to a pre-recession level. Right? They've, they've kind of they've said that multiple times uh, throughout the last you know, few months. And so you know, inflation will be a key metric to watch as there's a lot of debate whether the additional fiscal stimulus will drive inflation higher and force the Fed's hand or whether we'll continue to see the same low annual inflation you know, we've been experiencing pretty much since the last recession. So it's, it's a matter of is it going to overstimulate the economy or is it really just backfilling what was lost and we're going to, you know, stay steady.
0: So you mentioned inflation and you mentioned employment. Are those the two biggest uh, factors out there that would put upward pressure on rates, or what else do you see that could potentially push rates uh, back back up towards what we saw a couple years ago?
1: So th- those are definitely the two biggest factors. That's the Fed's dual mandate, right? They have, they have a mandate to keep inflation steady and to maximize employment. So their goal right now really is to get, you know, inflation back towards their goal of 2% and to Make sure that employment is is operating at a at a level that they they feel is ideal for for the country. So, it's it's really those two things. They said that they're going to let average inflation run higher than they normally would in the interest of making sure employment gets back to where it needs to be to to get us through this.
0: On the flip side, now that the the vaccine has gone into distribution. Uh, and it seems that Democrats have the, the simple majority they need to pass further fiscal stimulus. What could be some down downward pressures on rates moving forward? Really, if
1: it doesn't work, right? <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, that's, uh, that's, that's what's going to drive rates down is that, you know, either either the vaccine becomes not effective or people don't take it and we start to get more cases again. Right, right now, currently, over the last couple of weeks, things are trending in the right direction, so that's great. Um, but if it, if it goes the other way, that could put downward pressure on rates. If, this, if the stimulus doesn't drive additional employment or it doesn't drive in inflation, you know, the the market makers, they're they're going to change their expectations, right? They're not going to start assuming there's going to be all this inflation coming um, like they are right now, right? That's the real concern today is that, you know, but the job market is kind of getting better and inflation is steady and we're going to get all this new stimulus. So the fear is that that's going to drive inflation up because as things get better, Customers have this pent-up demand. They haven't been spending a whole lot in the last uh, year or so. They haven't been doing the activities that they that they were used to a year ago, um, and that they're going to go out and they're going to do all those things. And it's going to put pressure on um, supply, and it's going to it's going to drive prices higher, right? If everybody suddenly goes out and travels and goes to hotels, there's only so many hotel rooms, and you, you could swing immediately the opposite direction and you will stop seeing $50 flights and you go back to seeing a couple hundred dollar flights, right? It's
0: it's certainly a convenient message for sales staff to tell potential borrowers out there where hey, the the environment is one that is going to likely see rates go up. So lock in your rate today rather than wait until tomorrow and potentially pay a higher rate. Uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, setting that sense of urgency is is something that loan originators are are keen on on doing and you know it makes sense especially if somebody hasn't refied at this point and they they're in the money so to speak for for where their current mortgage is you know it's it's really hey let's let's get this done and and start saving some money while while we can do it because you don't want rates to go up and you don't want to miss out on this opportunity.
0: Anything else on your mind as we move through 2021
1: credit availability. There was a tightening of the credit box in response to COVID that has made it more difficult for some borrowers to qualify, and the industry also needs to work through the loans that are in forbearance. We don't know yet what the final outcome for all these loans or the full cost to servicers that you know what's going to be. You know, will the loans be modified? Will people go into a foreclosure? Will you know those payments just get tacked on to the end of the loan, and will the borrower be considered current? You know, ultimately, our industry's path. Like so many others in the country, is going to be driven by the decline in the pandemic and a return to work for those homeowners who have needed to rely on government intervention for maintaining in their homes over the last year.
0: And forbearance is the big elephant in the room, considering how many plans are due to expire here by the time we get to the end of March. B.J., thank you very much for for coming on the Crispin Commentary Daily Mortgage News podcast. I really enjoyed having you.
1: Absolutely, Robbie. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Last week's announcement regarding January's surge in retail sales surprised all 68 economists on Bloomberg and highlighted the swiftness of the $900 billion stimulus flowing through the economy, as most households receive direct payments early in the month. With another larger round of stimulus likely on tap, economists are adjusting their forecasts, reflecting stronger personal income than previously expected. Should additional stimulus continue to buoy consumer spending, imports may see a strong pace of growth as demand outstrips current inventory levels. Despite the drag, rising imports have on GDP. Economists are forecasting GDP growth for 2021 to be in the 4-6% range, which would mark the strongest annual pace of growth in over 20 years. This is also affecting market opinions on inflation and the direction of interest rates, which have trended higher, although no one is currently forecasting runaway inflation. The Federal Reserve is content to leave monetary policy alone until employment sufficiently rebounds. Last week closed with a strong existing home sales report for January, which contributed to the day-long retreat in Treasuries while well, the MBS basis ended tighter. Existing home sales increased 0.6% month over month in January to a seasonally adjusted rate of $6.69 million. Total sales in January were up 23.7% from a year ago, despite the supply of existing homes for sale being at an all-time low. The 10-year Treasury note ended the week up 15 basis points from where it started. More importantly, the Mortgage News Daily 30-year rate registered 3.04%, up 18 basis points on the week. The combination of low homes inventory and increasing mortgage rates presents a big issue for affordability going forward. For the week last week, the New York Fed desk purchased an average of $6 billion a day versus $8.3 billion in originator supply. 66% was in Class A, with the other 34% split evenly between Class B and Class C. Today's schedule sees the desk purchasing up to $7.6 billion of MBS, including over $6.2 billion in UMBS 30s. Depository banks seem to be buying the lion's share of the remaining agency, MBS. This month-end week sees some potential major moving market events between the $183 billion in month-end coupon supply and Fed Chair Powell's semi-annual monetary policy report to Congress. On the data front, investors will receive updates on consumer confidence, Q4 GDP, and personal income and spending. Today's economic calendar is already underway, with the Chicago Fed National Activity Index for January up to 066 Later this morning brings the leading index for January and Dallas Fed Texas manufacturing for February. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse, down a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 1.36% after closing last week at 1.35%. That move is due to continued expectations of the economy picking up steam as vaccinations increase. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Did you know senior citizens are the nation's leading carriers of AIDS? Hearing AIDS. Band-Aids. Roll aids, walking aids, medical aids, government aids, most of all, monetary aid to their kids. <laughs> Thank you for spending a few minutes of your time with us.